All right, welcome to the Veterinary Career Success Show. Uh, special, special episode. This is a little thing that we're trialing today. And I am joined by another wonderful veterinary podcaster in her own right entirely, Dr. Mariah McCauley. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Dave. This is a, an interesting twist for me to be on the receiving end of a podcast, so I'm excited. Um, and of course, like dealing with the time zone changes, I'm sit literally, people are hearing dogs barking in the background. I'm sitting in my practice right now, so randomness can happen, which randomness uh, always happens here. There's nothing surer than absolute randomness is going to happen. So, um, so Mo and I were chewing the fat on this as a little sort of um, uh, co-piloting to bring a little more more perspective to the show, and our conversation was going pretty deep. It was you were getting into some really heavy big stuff, and it ended up with us just giggling like idiots with Instagram filters, going back and forth, mucking about. I think that's the level we're going to pitch this at. <laughs> manage manage expectations more that's what i suggest them low already guys <laughs> okay. and then and then under set them low and under deliver that's 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 the new podcast motto <laughs> very career success show saying expectations low and under delivering so just like the veterinary veterinary careers all around the world no boom boom bad joke bad joke Mo. bad joke what do you reckon all right yeah, that one didn't fail quite as well as you'd hoped <laughs> I know, I think he's a bit too close to the bone. So you are at the very start of your career. So uh, how about we just start and you tell us the transition into working. You graduated right into the heart of the COVID world from Edinburgh University, which we won't hold too much against you. At least it was yeah. Scotland. So at least it was Scotland. Go with that. Good choice. Uh, <laughs> And you've got a super Scottish sounding name, way more Scottish sounding than mine in any case. So um, so I think you get kudos there. But tell us what it was like. Like, how has this been? Like your final year, that run up to exam times just got, bam, smashed by COVID. And then you've, you've now had, how many months have you been in your current job? And give us a flavor of the transition before we hit some of your questions. Yeah, I have been here um, for right now where I'm at. I am in month six of working as a new grad veterinarian. It is exhilarating and terrifying all at once. But yes, I graduated from Edinburgh University right smack at the beginning of all of this, like right when they slammed down the hammer and they said, you're done, like no more travel. This is serious, you guys. And so flew home, had already had some placements booked. They obviously got canceled. And a couple weeks later, they're like, hey, your rotations, your final block of rotations, canceled. And I was like, okay. And then there were a couple days later, they're like, graduation, canceled. And I was like, so I'm not coming back to Scotland, canceled. Um, all around, everything was canceled. So getting over that hump of being like, okay, my entire schooling is done. Boom, smack. No closure at all. That That sucked, honestly. And it took me a little bit just to feel sorry for myself because I was like oh I don't get a graduation oh woe is me that's like and eh, the grand scheme of things I wasn't too upset about it but the bigger hurdle was I had to find a job still I wasn't one of those people that got a job my the start of my clinical year of vet school which 
to be fair, very, very few people actually end up with that. Most of them are still two, three, four months graduated and still looking for a job just because they haven't found the right one. So if you're in that boat, don't worry about it at all. For myself, I... If you're in that boat, keep drinking heavily and enjoy that gap between vet school and real life. Come on, like you're working, like I really want a job. Enjoy your life. You don't have to be drinking. You can go and travel and do a bunch of stuff. Um, You don't have to to take the Scottish way of doing things. Um, (laughs) No, so I, I still had to find a job when I graduated. I still had to kind of figure out where the heck I was going to live. I didn't know where I was. I knew I was going to come back to the States. I knew I was going to work here. I didn't know where at all. I really hadn't done too many placements here in the States because, of course, I went to school in Scotland. So trying to balance that and being in the mindset of I learned veterinary medicine, which, yes, is universal, but I learned kind of the UK version of it, if you will. And there's there's subtle nuances like different drugs that are available to being here, which I had to train my brain and different um, preventatives and just medications and the, the general thinking of how some things happen had to change all of that. But before that was finding a job. So I thankfully had family members um, and a location in the States that I was able to live with um, safely during that time period. And I just sent out email after email after email, went to so many interviews. And finally, um, a couple months later, honestly, around July time is when I solidified and I said yes to the current practice that I'm in. And part of the reason I said yes to this practice was because of how we had built the picture around what my transition would look like. I had specific requirements for what I wanted my mentorship to look like, to be what I wanted to achieve one, three, six, 12 months out from starting practice. I had different skills that I wanted to focus on at different times. And so we built out this whole protocol, if you will, of this is what I wanted to do at this point and that point. And then how do I double check that we've that we've done these things, that we've achieved it, that I'm continuing to grow and develop as a new grad vet and then double checking. All right. Where are the areas that I'm struggling in? How do we help me develop in those areas specifically? So those are all things that I was looking for when I was looking for a job. Okay, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna pause you there because I think you just hit on some pay dirt right there that, that I think very very few graduates actually do. So I would love for us to get nerdy and granular right now on that subject right there. You went with a shopping list. I have lots of questions. How many jobs did? How many no's did you get? And how many? practices did you reject and how many in total did you go interview that's part one okay so the number of practices that I actually I'm counting this up in my head how many did I actually apply to or at least look into that's probably seven to ten different practices within this area alone that I looked Mm -hmm. into I never actually received a no from any of them I got ghosted by a few of them, which I'm assuming is like a no, which it was, it was weird. Like I just could not, I would contact them. We'd have a great interview. They're like, yeah, I'm really interested in hearing more from you. And then dead silence. That is, that's, it was like, bad form. <laughs> that that's, rude. that's rude and bad form. So and yeah. In a way I was like, well, if you don't want to contact me back, I don't want to contact you back. Bye next. 
Perfect, so, perfect. Eject your seat right there. Yeah, I did that. And then I honestly, I got a yes from one, two, three, pretty much every single one that actually was keeping up with contact with me. But it came back to two different practices that were relatively close to each other, but still a fair distance uh, enough. And um, eventually I just decided on the one. And what were your reasons you ruled out the ones that were yeses that got back to you? And what were your rule in things? The rule ins that I had and the reasons I said no, part of it was when I went and visited a practice, they just didn't have the setup or the facilities that I was looking for. So that was part of it. Um, it was as simple as walk in, didn't like it, walked out. What and didn't you like? Tell me more. The ones that I didn't like, uh, it was I was looking for a practice that was rather fast paced, that was seeing a lot of patients, had the capacity to do a lot of diagnostics in-house. And so if I walked in and the layout just wasn't conducive to seeing a high volume and I could see that it was going to be an issue, with trying to get that many through the door, or maybe it was just not enough um, support staff. Um, those are all things that I was like, these are going to be hiccups. They're going to be um, roadblocks to what I want to achieve or what this practice is really trying to achieve or trying to sell. So that was the other thing. If they were saying, we have this, but then I see a different picture, that was straight off. I was like, you're lying to me, basically. So where else? Did you, did you have an example of one of the times somebody did that? Um, I think it was, there was one practice that I had been looking at and they're like, we're building out this new development where we bought the building next to us. We're blowing out this wall. And they walked me through and showed me where everything was. And I was like, I don't see how that's going to happen. Granted, I, I didn't have the big master plan, so it could have very well laid out that way. But the current practice, I was like, how are you going to flow into this new, you haven't described that, you haven't built that out. And they also just didn't have the structure or the, the floor plan just didn't work with what they had currently. And I saw a couple cases come through the door with them that day and they did, they managed expectations very well. They uh, practiced high quality medicine. But there was a lot of stuff that they either had to send out or they weren't able to do in-house, weren't able to offer in-house. Um, and I just wasn't, I didn't want to be at that kind of practice. But for someone else, that could be exactly what they're looking for. Mm -hmm. But for me, it wasn't. So I said no to them. Okay. And so then the, the, the checklist of yeses was what for you? you, you you've thought about this. You, you've, you clearly had a, a shopping list. Oh, I, did. I want I want you to talk us through the shopping list and then can you move into the plan and how you agreed that plan and then I'm keen to hear how it's going because I loved something you said earlier about the you know you're going to your areas you want to focus on and grow but then how are you going to double check and make sure you've actually achieved the standard that you were aiming for so I'd love to just you to dig into that but let's start with your checklist mm -hmm. so my shopping list that I had going into each practice it was in different categories. So the biggest thing that was the most important were the people that I was going to be around. I mean, I could deal with little bits and bobs here and there and like whatever fanciness they had. But unless I was working with a team that was supportive and able to communicate well with each other, the rest of it didn't matter. So that was the first big block to check off. Okay. So. I, there's so many other questions. So interrupting, how did you work out that they could communicate well? What did you see? How did you make that assessment? 
I made that assessment by watching and just seeing how they interacted with each other during the course of the day. So I, this practice particular, I actually came back for an entire week to do like a working interview. And so over the course of that time, and ideally, if you are able to go on placement at a place you want to work, do two weeks, because the, by the end of two weeks, no one can hold on to that candy coating. If they're going to be rude to you by that point, like it's going to happen or to each other, like they can't hide it after that time. So and of course, when I was interviewing was so hard with a lot of these practices because it's during COVID. So how do I do it safely? And of course, everyone's stress level is already up. So if you're wanting to see a practice when they're at their highest, their highest breaking point, essentially, this was the time to see it. And I saw cases with them. I got involved. I got offered to do stuff while I was on the working interview. So they'd be like, oh, um, like this place actually here. There was a case where a dog came in. It was literally, they just needed a blood draw. And the veterinarian, who's now my current mentor, was like, do you want to draw the blood on this dog? And he handed me the syringe. And I was like, yeah, sure, I can do this. I've been a couple months, so I might be a little shaky. Um, I'd love for you to stand right there and guide me through this. And as I was doing this, uh, there were a couple times where I was like, I'm just not hitting the jugular right. Like, can you come and guide me? And the entire time I was watching, all right, how is he going to mentor me through this really simple thing of a blood draw? Sure, if I had spent a couple extra, like 30 seconds digging around in there or feeling where the vein was, I probably could have hit it no problem. But I wanted to see how he would teach me in this moment. Nice. So I, I, I was like looking for him to guide me. And I loved how he did it because he's patiently waiting in the background, not too close, not too far, waiting for me to ask for help um, rather than hovering over me being like, oh, it's right there. Do you see it? Oh, just like keep, I hate it when people do that um, to, to a degree. So to have someone who is patient while waiting, even though he could see I was struggling with something and then offering just the, the right level of mentorship for what I needed I could already tell that it was going to be a relationship that worked out really well. But to go back to your question of how did I see that people were communicating well with each other, I would watch them throughout the day. And most importantly, I watched how the, the, the nurses and the assistants were working well to each other. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see where their stress points were because they are the people that really hold the place together. Um, the doctors can be fantastic and wonderful, which they all were. But if the nurses are behind the scenes, uh, saying things or mm -hmm. showing that they're disgruntled with what's going on, then chances are there's something else happening and you need to dig deeper before you say yes to that place. Yeah. So those were all the things that I was looking for when I went into this practice in particular. So very heavy culture. You were, you were focused a lot on culture with equipment, a bit of layout, but you also, you had a, had a plan. So this plan for your first 12 months, tell me how that came about and, and what's on your plan? So the plan for the first 12 months, that was something that I was actually listening to a podcast by the 7S Society. So um, the people that now do VMS mentors, um, part of them, they, were, they actually have like a, a whole podcasting group that's for helping students become practice owners. And so this is what the podcast is for. But in that podcast, they had a whole episode about a mentorship clause within your contract. And I was like, ooh, what is this mentorship clause? Like, tell me more. So listening to the podcast, the list that they went through of being like, you should have in your contract, like what mentorship is going to look like, what your goals are, um, partly so that you can hold them to a standard, but then they can hold you to a standard as well. 
So that was the driving force for me to come up with this plan, honestly. And so in my contract, I wanted to make sure it was all in there. And so we sat down and we said, well, what is this con- this mentorship clause going to look like? And AHA, a, a American Association um, of Hospitals, they have a mentorship clause lineup, essentially, that you can look at and come up with a lot of ideas. And that's where we pulled a lot of this from. And essentially what it is, is it breaks down your first year of practice into around three month blocks. And in those blocks, you're deciding, all right, what do you want your new grad to achieve in this amount of time? Not to say if you haven't achieved it, like failure on both of you. It's just to say we need to set some kind of mark so that they don't get lost in the melee of every day, which Mm -hmm. is a huge thing, especially if I'm at a six doctor practice. So it could be so easy for me to sit in the background and get lost. Yep. So, yep. yeah, hundred percent. And that's, that's, I mean, that is one of the key things I think, which certainly you see people who are serious about learning, get focused in on something till they get good at it. Good enough that they've got the, you know, not expert, but like if you want to get good at neutering, do neutering intensively for months and you'll be really good at neutering after doing that. Do dentistry the same. Mm-hmm. And you'll certainly, you know, a little bit more complex and things you've got to learn, but you pretty, you, you would, you would be good enough to get by a lot of it. Same sort of, I lo- so I love, I love that as a, as a concept. Now, so the check-ins then, mm-hmm. this last little bit of the puzzle and then, and then that, that's, that's the plan. Then I want to hear how it's actually been going in real life. <laughs> that's yeah. the big question here is managing the transition. Yes. So the plan for check-in was that I was going to have weekly or bi-weekly meetings with my mentor, which there was one veterinarian who was assigned to be like my go-to. Granted, every single veterinarian in this practice, like I can go to them for anything. Um, I can ask any question of them. And so it's not like I have one mentor and that's the only person I'm allowed to go to. I can go to anybody. But there was one vet in particular who was assigned to be like my sit down mentor. And so the plan was to have weekly or biweekly meetings. We quickly realized that was not going to fly for our schedules and the way things worked out, which was okay because I was actually paired up with him for so many of the, um, the schedules. So that he was the other veterinarian that was scheduled anyway. So I was having about I was having that back and forth like micro conversations all the time. Exactly. Yeah. These micro conversations were happening, so we didn't need one thirty-minute sit-down session. Granted, we still try and do that every now and then. Um, Just this past week, he grabbed me and he's like, "Hey, can we go chat about how things are going?" And I was like, "Yeah, why not?" So in that time, we then broke down. some of the goals that we had set for me in the, for the past six months. And we said, you know what, like the surgery thing, like, where's that happening? <laughs> like what's going on there? Cause right now I'm scheduled with him for his surgery days and we just split up who does what surgery. And more and more recently I've been left to do surgeries on my own and he's like nearby and I can have someone yell down the hall to come and help me if I need it. Um, So that was something that we recently refurbished and just said, hey, where are we on this? Where do we need to improve? And we we highlighted that I highlighted the points that I thought we needed to improve on. He highlighted the points that he thought he needed to improve on. um, And we just kind of built it around there. So we've refurbished the whole surgery aspect of our initial thing, which takes us to your question about how is this all played out in the end? Honestly, a lot of it has played out just as we had expected. 
there was actually an additional like check sheet, like legit check sheet that we could have done. And after the first week, we both looked at it and went, nope, not happening. <laughs> Threw it out. So, so like it, a skills, a skills, it was like a skills thing. And it was also like, does the new intern, the new veterinarian know where X, Y, and Z is in the hospital kind of thing. And outside of the OSHA requirements, then we just kind of tossed it because it didn't really have much purpose. It wasn't serving to help me grow and develop or it was just kind of getting in the way, honestly. But otherwise, the actual transition has happened just as we set it out. Um, there aren't too many places that I feel like I've been lost at all. I've actually been ahead of schedule for a lot of things because initially it was like, okay, you're going to have hour long consults for everything and they're going to be vaccine and wellness only. Oh, it's pretty dreamy. Right. It actually kind of happened sort of maybe for like a week. And then um, by that point I had already taken on and actually before that, even I was just shadowing. I shadowed for three weeks straight, did nothing. Amazing. And I took on the uh, crazy admits that came into the hospital because it meant that I had a whole day to work it up, a whole day to figure out the computer system, a whole day to call the clients and figure everything out um, to come up with a plan. And then from there, I got scheduled into three. My next three weeks was going to be uh, actually seeing consults. They were going to be wellness and vaccine consults. And for the most part, they were, other than the odd one that one of the receptionists would come back and ask me specifically, can we put this in your schedule? And if they did, cool. I got extra time to see it, extra time to work it up and everything. And then from there, I was supposed to be slowly transitioned back to the normal 30-minute block that we had for these appointments um, and slowly adding in sick visits. Um, And then... Honestly, it was, again, it was, they would come back and ask me, Hey, can we do this? Hey, can we push it forward a bit? And I was like, yeah, sure. Whatever. It worked out. Um, and I didn't lose my confidence in myself because I always had someone else there. That was another requirement. I wouldn't be left alone at the practice, um, for any length of time. So, or I would always have someone to call if I needed to. So these are all things that we set up so that I could succeed, even if I had some wiggle room to, figure it out because maybe the person I needed to talk to, they were in a consult, they were in a call or um, in surgery. Like, yes, I had someone there, but they didn't have to be over my shoulder every single second. So So, I was given the opportunity to grow in my confidence. I love it. I love it. Um, So describe the, the, if you're to sum up your experience in three words, what would those words be? Mm. educational for sure um stretch would be another one stretching yeah and hmm varied all right well mo there's so many uh i think amazing lessons in there i I, you got to give your practice a name check here because they've just done a first class job of of bringing in somebody into the profession and you know that it's it's an amazing job that they've done looking after you how how do you feel like like you're six months in and the a time when everybody's burning out my guess is that people in your practice are not burning out and you're not burning out yeah, I, I would totally agree with that. No one has seemed to be burning out at this point. 
partly because of the schedule that we have, but also because, again, it goes back to that culture that we have within our practice where everyone is willing to pitch in, stay a little bit later to help with the case. Um, if you're off for the day and like a, a case that you've been managing comes in, like any of the other doctors are happy to take it and our notes are well enough that there's not really any lag in the communication that happens um, in that aspect. But yeah, the burnout, oh, that is that is a heavy question um, that I, it's a conversation that I have with a lot of vets just to see where they're at um, here in this practice even. And there's not really like a good answer for what's going on with the rest of the practices in our area, um, especially during COVID times where like we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. We don't know when we're going to go back to having face-to-face -face clients anymore. Yeah. Um, it's hard. That unknown aspect is really eating away at people. But again, here at this practice, at least from what I've seen, we're not having that kind of stress happen to us, if that answers the question. It does. And, I, and, I, and I'm not surprised. And I know there'll be more more to it and going on, but, but the, it's a... My third, my three words would be uh, thoughtful, uh, intentional, and kind. From what I've heard, that they have—that's how they've treated the whole onboarding process. And if they've given you that much attention, then it's likely that's not the only bits of their practice they've spent time thinking about. Hey, it reminds me of the funny story. Maybe this is a good wind-up point, but it reminds me of a, a funny story about. And I don't know if it was ACDC, the old Akadaka. I don't think it was ACDC, but the the band. Some somebody somebody write in and tell me which band this was. It's, it's but it was a, it was a rock band. And when they went to their next gig and they were doing stadium gigs, they would ask for a writer, and they would ask for a whole bunch of crazy rock and roll stuff. But they'd also ask for a packet of M and M's with all the green ones taken out. Because they were total divas, right? <laughs> no, they weren't total divas at all. They knew that if the place they went to had gotten the M&Ms and the green ones were taken out, they were a detail-focused place and they could be a bit more chill. Whereas if the M&Ms weren't there or if they were just a, pack, a box of M&Ms without the detail, they knew their stern tax needed to be all over it and take charge because it was going to be a crapshoot. Wow. Because... A band that performs at that that standard, you know, it doesn't happen by accident. There's a, you know, it looks like it's just, you know, it's a rock and roll band. They're just crazy, getting drunk. No, they're not. Like Kirk Hammett practiced, found the best guitar teacher on the planet in Joe Satriani and practiced harder than anybody else. And and that's why they were such an amazing band. You know, it's that focus from all of them, that attention to detail. That's how you get to be a world beer. It sounds like your practice is applying some of the same rigor in managing their people. Well, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing a little light on your transition um, into practice. Uh, I think there are so many lessons to come out of that. And so, Dr. Mariah McCauley, perhaps we will do this again and take some listener questions. But that was a really nice scene setter, I think. I think so too. And thanks for giving me the opportunity to just kind of chat about these things. Um, it's nice to have someone to guide my thoughts, if you will, because I feel like we're on a similar uh, thought pattern where we can just go 
with the topic. And it's it can be trouble for us if we do. So to have someone to, to guide those questions and thoughts, it, it, it kind of helps. It kind of helps. It's, it's nice suddenly to be on the other side, isn't it? And not have to <laughs> so think <nice>. too much. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just going to answer every question that he, that he says. I don't have to put too much thought into this. <laughs> no, just let it out. Let it out. All right, well, thank you very much. Uh, thank you to you guys listening. Hope you enjoyed it. And we'll see you next time on the Venture Career Success Show.